Would you open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 12? As mentioned, we're not going to go through the nine verses this morning that we are going to give an introduction to. Starting in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them, And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. We're talking here again, the prophet is specifically talking about a specific people that is ethnic Jews, ethnic Israel. And he's talking about Israel being in their land immediately before the second coming. So last week in chapter 11, we looked at this first coming of Christ. And now Zechariah goes to the end of this age. And he sees the people of Israel, ethnic Israel, people of Israel according to the flesh, regathered in their land, in the land of Israel, in the Middle East. This is a physical people in a physical land. By way of introduction, I love uh, New Covenant theology. New Covenant theology teaches uh, that the Old Covenant has been completely done away with. Not in part, but in whole, in total. So when God did away with the Old Covenant. He didn't do just away with parts of it, but he did away with the complete covenant, including all of the laws that he gave to Moses. 
We mentioned this recently, but many people are great defenders of the Ten Commandments. And we have people defending the Ten Commandments. And um, it's all well and good until we get to the Fourth Commandment. When you hear about uh, the Fourth Commandment is to keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day, it's a, it's a Saturday, all of a sudden the question becomes, do we, do we really keep that? And of course, many today are, are not keeping that, and the question is, should they? Should we pick and choose? Should we go back into the Old Covenant and, and say, these laws still apply to us today, and these laws do not? It seems rather confusing. Then some people may say, well, if you do away with the Old Covenant, is it okay then to murder? Surely we don't think murdering is good and stealing. We're going to do away with the Ten Commandments as is being advocated here, at least under the Old Covenant. Are we saying all of a sudden that stealing is okay? And of course the answer is no, but it's not because we get the teaching from Moses. We get that teaching from our ultimate and supreme lawgiver, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not an interpreter of Moses. Rather, he was a new lawgiver, a greater lawgiver, a supreme lawgiver. So when Jesus came along, he didn't just say that it was wrong to murder, and he wasn't just interpreting Moses, but he even goes further. He says, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered them. So we don't let people off the hook with murder. We don't say, well, because the Old Covenant is gone, it's okay to murder. No, no. But it's not because the Old Covenant commands us not to murder. It's because Jesus Christ himself commands us not to murder. It's the same thing with adultery. Moses said not to commit adultery, but Jesus comes along, and he is our new lawgiver, and he says, even if you have lust in your heart, after a woman, you have already committed adultery with her. So when we talk about the Old Covenant being done away with, we are not talking about parts of the Old Covenant being done away with, because then all of a sudden we get into mass confusion. Should a person have tattoos? How far can a person walk on Saturday? Should they be able to light a fire and so on? The whole thing has become obsolete. Nowhere in the scripture does it say only part of the Old Covenant has become obsolete, but the scripture clearly teaches and tells us in the New Testament that the whole thing has become obsolete. This is um, not a new teaching. It is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the teaching of his apostles, and it has been the teaching of godly men and women down through the ages. I want to show this to you specifically in Hebrews chapter 8. If you go there, we can't get a more specific text than in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. 
says this, in speaking of a new covenant, so this is the new covenant established by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are new covenant people. There was an old covenant under Moses, and now the greater lawgiver comes, that is Jesus Christ. The old covenant was under Moses, and the new covenant is established by Jesus Christ. He says here in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The whole thing is done away with. He doesn't say part of it has become obsolete. In fact, he says the whole thing at this point before Rome was destroyed, the, the temple was still there, but the temple was about to be destroyed. And all of the practices, all of the rituals, all of the laws, the civil, the ceremonial, the moral, all of them are moral laws. That whole law, the whole thing under Moses has been completely done away with. So no longer do we have to argue over whether it's okay to have a tattoo. We don't have to go and figure out, can we grow corn alongside of wheat, or can we mix two different fabrics together? Why? Because all of those laws were under the Old Covenant, and that Old Covenant has become obsolete. Many people get so confused over this, and, and people who often are, are not believers, try to trip up people who are believers. Say, well, if you really believe the Bible, then why are you planting two kinds of crops together? Why are you having uh, a coat with two kinds of fabrics together? And, of course, the Bible answers this question very clearly when it says the whole thing. The whole old covenant has been completely done away with. Paul says, I'm not under the Mosaic law anymore. The whole thing. He says, I'm not under the Mosaic law. But he says, I'm not a man without a law. He says, I'm under Christ's law, the law of Christ. And so as we look at the Bible and we say, how should we live? Now there is freedom. So if somebody says, well, I want to get a tattoo, the, the question is, is it wise for that person? And of course, that may differ from person to person. And from family to family. And so they sit down and they pray over this and they think about it. And for one person, they may say, you know what? I, I never want a tattoo and I'm never going to get a tattoo. And somebody else who is a, a believer says, you know what? I don't, I don't see any harm in it. And we're not under the Mosaic law anymore. And we're not trying to be rebellious in any way. And we're not trying to do anything that would harm our body. And for that person, it might be completely legitimate to have a tattoo, and so it goes on with many different um, different laws. And, and by the way, this is why in Christianity there is freedom. The danger is uh, we try to all come under the same regulations, the same rules, the same convictions with everything. And the Scripture says, "Look, let's keep the the main things the main things, and the plain things the plain things." I was reading yesterday in Acts chapter 15 in the Council of Jerusalem. What, what shall we do with the Gentiles who are being saved? Should we command them all to keep the Mosaic Law and all of them to be circumcised? And the answer was, was no. But it wasn't that they could just become this unholy bunch. Now we can sleep with whoever we want, do whatever we want, go anywhere that we want to go. No, no, we are, we are called to be 
a holy people. And uh, in fact, one of the one of the dangers with the, the church today is that we are becoming less and less holy. And there is a, a need to call us back to the message of holiness, to be like Christ. But what is holiness? Is it going back to the Mosaic law? May it never be. What is holiness? Is it following traditions of the 1940s and 1950s? No. Here's, here's what holiness is in a definition, very clear. It's being like Jesus. That's what holiness is. Jesus Christ was the holiest man who ever lived. And so as we are called to be holy, we're simply uh, called to be like Christ. But in this uh, New Covenant theology that is taught in Scripture, specifically in regard to the Mosaic Law, there's two concerns I have. And one is that there is often not a distinction, a clear distinction. Martin Luther said, whoever understands this, put him at the head of the class. That is the distinction between the law and the gospel. And we need to have a clear understanding of what the difference is between the two. I'm not talking about the Mosaic law, but the law of Christ. The law of Christ tells us what to do. And any time in the Bible we are, we are told something or specifically you shall do this or you shall do that, that's law. People talk about what we need to do is just love each other. The greatest commandment in all of Scripture according to Jesus, the greatest law that we are to follow, it's not an easy thing. This isn't something that comes naturally out of our heart, is to love God with all of our soul all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And he says the second is like it, and that is you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So anytime we hear the law, it's telling us what to do. And we're not saved by the law. Some people say all we need to do is just love God. Well, it's impossible with an unregenerate heart to love God. People say, well, all we need to do is go out there and try to just be better people. Listen, at the very core of our being, the Bible says that we are wicked. We are stained. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and sick. We don't, we don't even know our own hearts. And so the more that we hear the law, the more we're condemned in our sin. You need to do this. You need to do that. That's why if we have a sermon just full of the law, even Christ's law, do this, don't do this, and it might all be well and good, the more burdened we become. And we might mask it as principles. We're going to give um, five principles today on how to do this. How to have a happy life. How to have great children. How to have a wonderful marriage. How to have a wonderful church. And oftentimes we give people principles. And really they're just laws. And people sit there and they say, well, I don't do that. You need to read eight chapters a day. In the scripture, read eight chapters a day. It's a good thing if somebody does. And uh, if you want to be a successful family, you need to have family devotions every morning at 6 a.m. Well, that doesn't happen either. And so we get weighed down. And, and sometimes principles and laws and all these things need to be taught. But sometimes all they do is weigh people down. 
And uh, the truth is we, we hear them and they're being taught to us and we say, yeah, there's some, there's some truth in that, but uh, boy, I'm sure, not, uh, I'm sure not following all of that. And so as people hear those kind of things, they can leave the church and they can say, well, I'm not, I'm not measuring up to all of that. And there's no release. They leave weighed down and burdened. Now listen, we need to hear the law. We need to hear it. It shows us our sin. It shows us where we have done wrong. And specifically, we need to hear the law of Christ. Not man's traditions and man's laws. But even with the law of Christ, if we say, now everybody here needs, it's the law of Christ to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We say, yes, that's right. But the problem is, do any of us do that? And uh, when, when it says to love your neighbor as yourself, the truth is, if that's what we leave it at. Now, listen, this is, a, this is our congregation. This is a team here this morning. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to love God and love people. And, uh, and then we close in prayer. Listen, uh, people oftentimes will leave weighed down and, and burdened. It's only when we hear the release of the gospel promises, the difference between the law and the gospel. It's only when we begin to hear the, the promises of the gospel that all of a sudden we begin to find relief. So we hear, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we say, I'm not doing that. And then we hear the promise of the gospel. But there was one man who loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. That was Jesus Christ. And here's the promise. If you are failing in that this morning, as all of us are, you can come to Jesus. And he says, if you are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and you are hearing the right command of the law to love God, and you're, you're hearing that and you're going, I haven't been loving God like I should, but then all of a sudden you hear the promise of the gospel that he offers rest to anybody who comes and that there's a fresh start, it's a new day, and that we can come to Jesus and we can say something like this, Lord, this week I, I didn't love you like I should have loved you. And I didn't love my neighbor like I should have. I didn't love my neighbor like I love myself. But Lord Jesus, you live the perfect life. For me, Lord, you love God with all of your heart, and uh, you live that perfect life for me. And as you as you walked in perfect obedience and in perfect submission to Christ, now you offer anyone release who comes to you and says, "Jesus, you are my perfect substitute." This is the promise of the gospel, and all of a sudden we fall in love with Jesus more. We say, "Jesus, I messed up, but you know what, Lord, I want to be more like you." See, this is, this is the distinction between just giving people law. We need to hear the law. But we also need to hear the release of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come for sinners, that he has come for people who have messed up, that he's come for the weak, that he hasn't come for the righteous, but he's come for the unrighteous. He hasn't come for people who have it all together, but he's come for people who are, who are messed up. And so when we begin to hear that promise, you mean I can come to the Lord? Me, regardless of what I've done in my life, I can come to the Lord and he will forgive me and he will give me his righteousness based upon his life, the life he lived in my place, 
and the death that he bore, the punishment that I deserve for my sin. So the law tells us what to do. That's the law. And the gospel is the great promises that we have in Christ, what he has done for us. So the law is due, and the gospel is this is what has been done for you. And oh, how we need to hear both messages. And this is why, this is why Martin Luther said we can't get them mixed up. Because if you, if you think that the law is the gospel, you'll go away thinking, here's what I need to do to get into heaven. I need to love God more. And the truth is, I, I don't love God. And, and you, leave, you leave the service and you're, you're weighed down and you're hearing all these great laws, but there's, there's no release. So we hear the law, which tells us what to do, but the law should drive us to Christ, who is the personification of the gospel. The law tells us what to do. The gospel is the promises of Christ Jesus, what has been done for us. Secondly, this is as far as we're going to get today. We need to have a clear understanding of the difference between the law and the gospel. And we also need to have a clear understanding of a place for Israel. I'm going to say this in, in, in close, and I wish we could go on. I have so much more to say. But I, I cannot understand the flow of the Bible without a clear understanding that God still has a plan for his people. I mean, I, I don't understand what happens to all of these promises that we read in minor prophet after minor prophet. Israel, I'm going to restore you to the land. Israel, I'm going to do a great work in you in the, in the last day. Israel, I'm going to bring you back. I have scattered you among the nations, but I'm going to bring you back. And all of a sudden we say that all of this has been fulfilled in the church. I can't find one place in the whole New Testament that says that the promises to Israel have been fulfilled in the church. Not one. And this is why it is so relevant to this day. The things that we are reading in these minor prophets are not just spiritually fulfilled in the church. No, no, no. In fact, all of a sudden, it would be like we took a dive off of a cliff. Here, the Lord is talking to Israel, talking to Israel, talking to Israel. All the curses fall on Israel, but all of the promises somehow mystically are all of a sudden in the New Testament transferred to the church. Two things. So as we understand that the whole Mosaic law in total has been set aside, this in no way is to say that the law and gospel distinction has been set aside. May it never be. In fact, we need to understand it clearly. And may it never be that we say that there is no place for the nation of Israel. And this is going to become clearer and clearer as we read through uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Zechariah. There is so much to say about this, and it's so exciting. And um, may the Lord give us a great vision as we continue to go through this book. But let me say this by way of closing. May the Lord open our eyes to Jesus. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point of, um, of the minor prophets. It was 
talking, all of the prophets, all 12 of the minor prophets, all of the major prophets, all three of them, speaking specifically about our precious Savior. Speaking about the fact that he would come. Speaking about the, the fact that he was Jewish. Speaking about this beautiful nation, Israel. Speaking about how the gospel would not only be opened up to the Jew, but in the great mystery of God, it would be opened up to Gentiles like you and me. Reading in Matthew, a Gentile woman comes to Jesus. She needs a miracle desperately. Jesus says to her, Well, you know that I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he said, It's not fit for us to give the bread that is for the children and throw it to the dogs. Gentiles. Pretty strong statement. He did it in a loving, tender way, though. He understood what was coming next. And she said, oh, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And as I read that, I just said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for including this Gentile. Thank you for uh, letting me eat some crumbs. 2,000 years ago, you died so I might live. Thank you. And according to her faith, he gave her the miracle that she was she was looking for. Look, we are so blessed to be called by our Messiah. To be called into this great fellowship of the church. To be saved from our sins. And to know God. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, there is so much, again, to be said here, but I pray, O oh God, that this church would be a church of the word, that we would understand our categories because they exalt Jesus. God, we thank you that you have done away, you have made, according to Hebrews chapter 8, you have made the old covenant obsolete in its totality. And God, that doesn't release us from any obligation to the law. In fact, in a clearer way, we have a greater law, a stricter law even, that God we could never keep. At the end of Matthew chapter 5, you tell us if we want to we want to know God, we ever want to make it to heaven, that we need to be perfect even as our heavenly Father is perfect. Lord, that's impossible. But Lord, you are giving us that beautiful law, that right law, to drive us to the perfect one. And that's why you gave it to us, so that we might see our imperfection and cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. And Lord, I pray that that would be our heart, that you would drive our church to prayer. That we would just say, Lord Jesus, we recognize the promise of the gospel. You're our hope. It's not, it's not our hope in ourselves. But Lord, as we receive you, as we have been changed inwardly, now, oh Lord, we want to live like you. And the truth is we often fall so short of that. 
But the promise of the gospel is heard again today. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give us rest, I pray. Lord, I pray even as uh, Elder Frank was praying here this morning, Lord, uh, burdens, God, on hearts, that they would be handed over to you, the righteous one. We thank you for your spirit's power here this morning. We can sense your presence. We honor you with respect today. Be exalted, O oh God. Be exalted, O oh God. Be exalted, O oh God.